Welcome to episode 29 by Fika with Rice. This week I meet someone I wanted to have on Fika with Rice for a very long time. Chris Voss, a former lead international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI. Chris is the current CEO of the Black Swan Group, which specializes in solving business communication problems using hostage negotiation solutions. Chris is also the author of the best-selling Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if your life depended on it. An extraordinary episode filled with gold nuggets and actionable tips on how to use simple negotiation tactics in your daily life and at your work to your advantage. Let's get this Fika started. This is Chris' story. Let's go. Hello, Chris. Welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm so excited to have you on the show because I've been waiting for, I think it's over a year now to get you on the show. I'm a very persistent guy. So I'm really glad that your team uh, were able to find a time to to get you here uh, at Fika with Rice. Our audience would love to learn more about like negotiations, how to master negotiations in, in life and business. And we normally start each episode with some rapid fire questions. It has become a new tradition here at Fika with Rice and our audience love it. It goes like this. I'll make a statement and then you'll finish the sentence. Does that make sense? Ooh. Yeah, am I allowed to repeat the statement? <laughs> you are. All right, you are. all right. Yeah, let's do it. If I could go back to my 20-year-old self today, I would do... If I were to go back to my 20-year-old self today, I would just tell him to just be a little gentler, a little nicer. You know, don't don't change your values or the things that you stand up for. Just do it in a, a little more uh, palatable, acceptable, nurturing way even. That's a very wise advice. The biggest mistake I made when I was 20-something was? Probably thinking... You know, at different points, you arrive. Nobody ever arrives. And so just taking that out of my thinking might have made it easier for me to get caught a little less off guard because I had moments where I thought I arrived. And you find out it's really just a plateau and there's another mountain ahead of you. Do you mean in the sense that, okay, I made it, you know, like this is this is it, hitting the jackpot. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Or, you know, I think if you think you arrived, uh, maybe you think the struggle is over or maybe, you know, it's uh, smooth sailing from here. No, it's not. I mean, you're at a new level and you got to learn new things. Maybe you get a, maybe you get a short uh, break. But, uh, you know, yeah, you, the, the mountaintop is really just a plateau. I love that. I think that that resonates a lot with me. And I think that uh, I know that you did martial arts when you were in college and that you injured your knee. Well, I'm a big, I'm a jiu-jitsu geek, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And one thing that the older belts have told me is that it just gets harder, the higher belts you get. And the hardest one is the black belt because that's who everyone wants to beat, so to speak. Wow, interesting, yeah. yeah I don't know. Did you find that reassuring when they told you that it just gets harder? Or how, did, how did you react to that? I don't find it reassuring <laughs> at all. Uh, I find it like I, I find it like a challenging journey ahead. You know. I so finding out that it just get gets harder inspires you. I think so. Yeah, it inspires me. All right. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. The best advice I received from my mother was. The best advice I received from my mother was work hard. Be honest. Live up to your word. Pitch in. Pitch in, I guess. Do, do you refer to helping others, helping your family, your team, your community? Yeah, you know, by pitch in, what I mean is like I come from a pitch in community, uh, you know, a small town, Midwestern Iowa boy. Okay. And culturally, I guess they're kind of they're different attitudes. And like one thing that I noticed in Los Angeles, Los Angeles is very much a guest community. You know, you show up at somebody's house, you bring a bottle of wine, you come in, you sit down, you expect to be wined and dined. They're going to make dinner for you, you know, depending upon how much money they have. They get people that are there setting up for you. Yeah. Like where I grew up in, you, you show up at somebody's house for dinner, you know, help set the table. Look around, see what needs to get done. You see people that are working on something, don't even ask. You know, look around, figure out how to pitch in. One of the core values of the Black Swan Group is that, you know, we're blue collar. And that, and that's a lot of what we mean by that. You know, pitch in, pay attention to what's going on, figure out what needs to be done, start helping. 
I love that my parents, they were blue collar workers uh, in Sweden. They worked in a factory and um, in a very small town in the southern part of Sweden. A lot of people are blue collar workers there. And I can definitely resonate with that. We have that type of culture there too. You know, where you're like, when you're a guest at somebody's home or I don't know, somebody's working or something, you go there and help out or setting the table, like you're saying. I think that that's a really, really good trait. So. Thanks. Yeah, blue collar is an attitude, right? Let's get it. Done I think together. so. The best advice I received from my first boss was. Wow, the best advice I received from my first boss. I'm trying to think of who I would designate as my first boss to start off with. <laughs> Couldn't be any you know, boss. My, you know, my first boss was my dad. You know, I went to went to work for my dad early on. Everybody in my family did, and then while I was working for him, uh, you know, there, there was uh, another guy gave me a job temporarily pumping gas. You know, I think I think he, he expected a lot of me. The guy that got, gave me the job pumping gas wanted me to think, wanted me to think for myself, put a lot of trust in me. And then we're co- on the police department, a couple different sergeants. You know, they wanted me to work for them, uh, recruited me. And so I think overall it was just like, you know, figure it out. Probably the, re- the theme from all of them was pay attention, figure it out, be smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fig- figure it out. You know, figure it out is probably it. That would probably be the recurring theme um, of all those guys. Figure it out. Be resourceful, so to speak. Be resourceful. Yeah. 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 Okay. My advice to 18-year-olds out there today. My advice to 18-year-olds is you're getting ready to enter the most phenomenal phase of your life where you're the most powerful and the most creative that you could possibly be going to last from about 18 to probably about age 23, 24, 25. You're going to be tempted to start to coast from there. Don't. Think about what it's like to be alive in that time frame. Relish it. Live it. Understand your core values. Lock them in. Keep learning. And keep doing that for the rest of your life. Because a lot of people start to slow down their late 20s, early 30s. They start to coast. They like to, they start to think like they've known it, they've accomplished it, they've achieved it. And they really lost what gave them the phenomenal power from the age of about 18 to about 24, 23-ish. Pay attention to what's going on. Don't lose it. Wow. That's, that's really powerful. Uh, Chris, um, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, leading up to this to this show, I did my homework, listened to hours of previous interviews you've done, read up blogs and interviews that you've been doing. And a common thread that I found among all, all the things that I've done, like in this in this homework, is that I found this wisdom. Exactly what you said right now. Where does this wisdom come from? Like this wisdom of psychology or just wisdom of life? You know, I think I just like to learn. I like to I like to learn. I like to I like to get better. I like to get smarter. I've always loved ideas. I think if anything, I just I just love to learn stuff. I consider myself remarkably untalented. <laughs> you know, no, I, I wasn't. I w- well, I wasn't gifted with a, a high IQ, which I actually think is a disadvantage. I wasn't gifted uh, with a great family tree or great social educational connections. I don't look like Brad Pitt. You know, I, was, I wasn't born to wealth. You know, I've taken great pride in being able to outperform people that were born with all these advantages. All of the privileges that people were born with that I was not, I don't resent that I didn't have those privileges. I just enjoy outperforming those people and you got to learn you got to get better and if somebody outperforms you you know you know don't be afraid to learn from them so i'm constantly constantly willing to learn and uh and want to bounce back and uh, and also you know you're gonna have failures like the real yeah. the real learning you know it's a cliche to say the real learning points are failures you know the people that don't bounce back from failure they're, they're pretty worthless because you're gonna fail Philosopher, business leader, minister. I like a lot. A guy's name is Craig Rochelle. Okay. And uh, one of his postings on Instagram he put up uh, not that long ago was, being hurt is inevitable. Living hurt is a choice. You know, so, yeah, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get wounded. You're going to get crushed. The lesson is potentially worth more than the pain if you learn the lesson. And so I've always liked to learn. 
Besides staying up to date on social media, what and obviously from your work where you meet a lot of clients today through the Black Swan Group, what are ways that you do like to learn? The way I most consistently learn these days, because I'm very much into human performance. I'm a huge fan of this guy, Andrew Huberman, who's got a podcast, Huberman Labs podcast. Okay. I listen to it all the time. Neuroscience, health information, human performance information. Huberman is probably more up to speed on peer-reviewed, solid data in terms of human performance. You see a lot of stuff that trendy that catches fire out there that may or may not be accurate. Uh, you know, a number of years ago, everybody was talking about um, nightshades. You know, nightshade, vegetables, fruits, very it's popular. True. Everybody's avo- avoiding nightshades. Yeah. That's really gone away. And some of the the healthier things happen to be nightshades. The data's gotten much more refined, but it got passed around a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, a year ago, two years ago, but he was talking about intermittent fasting. Now, the, the massive amount of information being passed around by PhDs, but was unsourced, unverified. You know, you get it from a PhD and you, you find, you figure like the PhD knows what they're talking about. Not true. They're, they're passing along word of mouth, unsourced information. The thing I like about Huberman is he'll give you his sources for his data. He searches for solid research in peer-reviewed journals. Now, he suspects a lot of things that are true, but until he's found the research that indicates it's true, he keeps looking. When you listen to his stuff, it's got a pretty solid foundation, plus he tells you where he gets it from. And I never really understood... <laughs> How, why some PhDs, some doctors make me nervous and why others do not. A friend of mine once said, you know, do they think they're Jesus? And a lot of people that are PhDs, they think that getting a PhD makes them Jesus. This is true because I said it's true. I got a PhD, therefore now I am the arbiter of the truth. And many times that they hold on to their own ideas that have been disproven, or there is nothing that validates their ideas, and they'll hold on to these ideas for 20 years. You get nothing but I think, I think, I think, without being tested in any way or peer-reviewed data. Now, Huberman, on the other hand, he's got the educational credentials to adopt that mindset, but he doesn't. He's like, this is what the data says, and I'm happy to be wrong. And occasionally... He gets corrected by the phenomenal guests that he has on. So at the moment, that's where I'm learning most of my stuff from on human performance. Because if you if you want to get better, whether it's negotiation, whether it's skiing, uh, you know, it's X Games, whatever it is that you want to do, it's all human performance at the end of yeah. the day. So how do you, you know where you get your information and Currently, I, I get most of it, not all of it. I'm, I'm learning a lot from uh, Huberman. That's amazing. I love podcasts because it's a, it's a very easy way to get high-level information, and you can be selective. Something you can do in the gym, something you can do when you're doing the dishes, you know? So Exactly, you know, and, and which is exactly what I do. You know, I get different moments throughout the day, yeah. and, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stuff out. And I'm listening to a podcast. I'm, I'm pulling in information. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll definitely look him up. It sounds extremely interesting. I'm also a very big geek when it comes to human performance. Uh, been reading books, blogs, and listening to podcasts about it too. And I definitely hear what you're saying about intermittent fasting. And there's always something new, you know, so. Right, yeah, yeah. Or then like Huberman's got a couple of guidelines because I've heard everything on fasting from 12 hours to seven days. And, you know, what, what's the sweet spot? And, and you pick, pick out the sweet spot for me and, I, and I'll do it. And so, you know, constant search of information plus the health that is evolving. Like six months from now, it's going to be different. A year and a half from now, it's going to be different. Prior to this show, I told you, um, Chris, there tons of research. And one thing that struck out was you say that there are three types of cavemen people in this world and <laughs> right. i love that the three uh, types, yeah yeah for those in the audience that don't know who are they and why are these important especially when it comes yeah. to negotiations because we're negotiating we're negotiating every day in our lives right so yeah exactly 
You know, uh, it's one, one of the real cornerstones of the Black Swan Method is the recognition of the three types. Okay. And that's fight, flight, make friends. There were three cavemen that survived. If they, if they saw a threat, they fought it, they ran from it, they made friends with it. You know, the ambivalent caveman got eaten. <laughs> he didn't survive. Fight, flight, make friends. Now, this is an idea that I was originally introduced to when I went through Harvard's program on negotiation, their negotiation courses, but both their exec ed and uh, their, their winter negotiation workshop, which is their, their pinnacle annual negotiation event. It's phenomenal. They, bring, they get super smart people. Bob Manukin was running the operation at the time. Their first exercise was pretty much around the three types. This is based off of a psychological instrument called the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument. How do we approach conflict? TKI, Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode. Kilman broke it down into five. They gave us Kilman's exercise at Harvard, but then knocked two types out, left with three. Very similar to what the Black Swan Method believes in. I once asked Bob, you know, why'd you knock the other two types out? I happen to agree, but what made you do it? He said, we think the other two types are really learned types, that there's just three basics. You know, we took the idea from that and then we refined it. We asked more questions. We actually have our own instrument now where we think uh, gives us a, a better look at which type you are. Fight, flight, make friends. For example, if you're the fight type, you think time is money. Like okay. that resonates with me. Like, I, you know, I'm, 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 this, I'm a natural born asserter. You know, the fight type. I see a challenge. I want to take it on. I want to go right at it. About a third of the world is fight. If you say to me, time is money. Like, yeah, yeah, time is money. Now, the make friends type. Buddy of mine, Joe Polish, runs a genius network marketing group out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I love Joe, and I'm a member of the genius network. He puts a blog post out once that says, time isn't money. Relationships are money. Okay. I'm like, What? Well, Joe's a relationship-oriented guy, a make-friends kind of guy. Okay. So relationships are money. That resonates with Joe. Now, I can learn that, but that's not my natural instinct. My natural instinct is like, relationships are money, time is money. <laughs> now, the flight type is the analyst, and they're very analytical. They see conflict as being a waste of time. They're not running from conflict because they're scared of it. They see it as highly unproductive. They like information. So they believe information, data, is money. So whichever one of those three that you resonate with, when you learn a black swan method, if you're willing to accept our hypothesis that the world breaks evenly into thirds, and we have the anecdotal qualitative data, not scientifically rigorously organized, but we've literally tested well over... We used to say 10,000, the number's got to be at least 15,000 people globally and found doesn't matter what country, gender, ethnicity, religion, sex, doesn't matter. You're in one of those three categories and the world breaks up even, evenly into thirds, which should frighten you because that means two out of three people you encounter are not your type. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, how does this break down? At impasse, the types show up in a very big way. When things are going well, you're probably going to be okay. Same sheet of music, you resonate with each other, you got good rapport, you have trust. Type doesn't matter that much. But if you've got a negotiation impasse, I can guarantee you it's due to type. I can guarantee you it's a due to a vast misunderstanding over the exact same words. Allow me to give you an example. What's the best example of this dynamic? Silence. People go silent in negotiations all the time. Yes, it's very the, powerful. The flight, it, it is powerful, yeah. but for vastly different reasons. Now, if the flight type goes silent when they want to think because they're analyzing the data as it's being presented, they're analyzing what you've said, they've analyzed the information they've come in. Silence is an indicator of thinking, thinking all aspects through, even silence in regards to your emails. See, a very analytical CEO of a company that we were doing some training with once said, never answer an email in sooner than 36 hours. How's he thinking? Now, now, because he's thinking everything through that he's going to put in the answer. Now, you send an email, you want to answer back today. The guy's gone silent on you. You're like, oh, my God. Now, if you're, if you're a make friends type, silence is what you do to signal fury, the silent mm. treatment. Okay. The meanest thing a make friends type can do 
in their mind, the cruelest thing is to go silent because when they're furious, that's what they do. Now, imagine the mismatch here. The analyst is happy for the silence because he's thinking. And the make friends type, the accommodator, is horrified and going like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's horrible. The, my counterpart is furious at me. That's where these mismatches begin to, to come. So if there's or impasses, if there's an impasse, it's probably due to type. Now, what's the answer? One of the negotiation skills that my company teaches and also in finding out about these three types, what we did in our polling, we just didn't leave it there because, you know, what good is it to know that people are three types? Now, what do you do? Fine. All right. I'm, I'm willing to accept that there might be three types, but if you don't tell me what to do about it, you're wasting my time. Well, we asked each one of the three types when we took the polls, what skills of the black swan method do you want to have used on you to make a great deal with you? And all three types love labels and mirrors. They may not be number one on their list, but they're always in the top three. And so that's how you dial in early on, which is really about making it about the other side. What's the mirroring negotiation secret, so to speak. How does that work? How does that work? The mirroring, yes. What's the secret? No, the mirroring, the mirroring negotiation tactic, so to speak. How does that work, Chris? Okay, for everybody listening to us right now, what I just did was I mirrored you. Oh, uh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> and then I followed it up with dynamic silence. You know, okay. I waited. Yes. Because I also want to illustrate how silence works in a negotiation. Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't start off by being silent. You know, I used a negotiation skill with you, and I used a curious tone of voice. Curiosity is a superpower. Curiosity is makes you anti-fragile. If you like Nassim Nicholas Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile, or any of his books, things that gain from disorder, things that gain from stress. Curiosity is a superpower. So when I was mirroring you, how did you feel? I felt very strange. Just, uh, to be honest, strange. for those listening, I felt a little strange for a half second. Right. You know, like now. a bit unbalanced. You know what I mean? Right. And now, and so the interesting point in that, I'm I'm pulling information on you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on what you said. And when you're analyzing somebody's reaction, often what they didn't say or what didn't happen is where the real learning is. Now you said strange and probably maybe a little awkward, but there was no anger there. Now, no I anger, some more yes. information out of you. You didn't say you felt cornered. Even though you were uncomfortable, you were still talking with me. And I was triggering thoughts in your head and getting expansion from you in your head. Because negotiations are often cornering the other side. And I've even heard people use the term. When people are interested in only asking questions where the answer is yes, which is a really bad technique that we've learned from lawyers. Never ask a question you don't know the answer to in advance, and the answer has always got to be yes. Isn't it true that you're in Barcelona? You know, are you willing to admit that you have a podcast? You know, all that kind of stuff that we're taught that, that, that lawyers want us to believe is good, which is really bad. And in discussing this whole method of approach, each one of these things are re referred to as tie downs mm -hmm. in the yes momentum, which is a really bad strategy, which Harvard still teaches. One person say to me like, yeah, you know, when I learned that law school, they called it cornering. Well, what happens to you if you feel cornered, you feel trapped, you get angry, you got to get away from me and you don't want to interact with me again. You didn't mention any of those things when I mirrored you. Because I'm trying to get more information out of you. Yeah. So you asked me about mirroring. It's a perfect opportunity for us to, to just not to define it for your audience, but to show it a little bit. You know, the old phrase, feed me and give me food and you feed me for a day. Give me a fish and you feed me for a day. Show me how to fish and you feed me for a lifetime. Yeah. You know, what you're trying to do and what I'm trying to do show people how to feed themselves for a lifetime it's true and one of the one of the ways for a mirror is to engage the other side and maybe get them to tell you stuff without making them feel cornered yeah. or trapped 
act or giving them a feeling because there's going to be moments of awkwardness in any negotiation. Now, how do I put those moments of awkwardness? How do you put those moments of awkwardness in a negotiation where it doesn't destroy the relationship? That's the real key. And that's one of the things about the Black Swan Method is different than anything else out there. I'm just digesting what happened. It's very, very interesting, this technique, Chris, because I, I would use the word unbalanced. For those listening, the way the way I was feeling was, okay, we're just standing, talking to each other. And suddenly I felt unbalanced. I'm like, okay, I'm trying to get back to, to where I feel grounded, so to speak. Very powerful technique. You felt unbalanced. What I feel when somebody mirrors me is I feel drawn towards them. Okay. I do feel a little awkward. I do feel a little unbalanced, but I don't feel angry. No, I don't no, feel no, not at all. Not at all. No. And so while I'm off, while I'm unbalanced, I mean, how often do you feel unbalanced and it doesn't scare you? Because the definition of losing your balance is a very scary thing. You know, like those silly trust exercises we see all the time of on, course. on on TV and movies, like fall backwards because it's going to scare you. Yeah. And you want to see if somebody's going to catch you. So you, you, you felt unbalanced, but you weren't afraid, which none of the negativity, because negative thinking makes you dumber. I mean, it actually makes you dumber. You're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind, which by definition, if you're in a negative frame of mind, makes you dumber. So how do we get into an interactive, collaborative relationship where you're smarter and we collaborate better? You know what? That reminds me of a um, my vacation in Italy last year, Chris. All right. And uh, it was me and my wife's. Every year during we go on an annual trip. Like during the week, we got married a few years ago. Congratulations! Said, thank you, thank you very much, Chris. And well, okay, we stay in this four-star hotel. It was not our first choice, but you know what? We'll stay here. Uh, for half of the trip and the other half will stay in this very, very nice place. Anyway, the first night, which happened to be our uh, wedding anniversary day, she wakes up in the middle of the night and she has a, um, she sees a cockroach. Obviously, she gets really emotional, angry, scared, disgust, you know. And my first reaction is, OK, I'm going to catch it. You know, so I catch it, and she's like, "Where are you, you going?" Yeah, little caveman in you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little you, caveman. You're, prote- you're protecting you. You're protecting your uh, your your mate. You know, you're, there's a threat. You're attacking the threat. You probably probably would have got a spear if you if you needed to, right? Very very impressive. So I catch the the cockroach, and she's like, "Where are you going?" I put on my flip flops and I go down to the reception. I'm like, "I'm going down to the reception because I need proof." when I speak to them about this incident. Ah, yes. right. So I speak to them and I'm in, I'm in a very calm manner because the way I'm thinking, Chris, is if I'm the night shift manager, somebody comes down, well, they probably need to show me a proof, right? So I come right. down, I show the proof and they're like, okay, well, we'll change the room for the night. Let's talk about this in the morning. My wife, she's still hysterical. Like, no, no way. I'm sleeping in a, in a car. Anyway, we get into a new room and I'm like, you know what, let's just relax. Let me think about this for a bit. Half an hour later, I'm like, you know what, this is how we're going to do. I've saved the the cockroach. It's there. Uh, She's obviously still disgust. And I'm thinking about a solution. My solution, Chris, is you will tell me if this this is a good way. I said, all right, tomorrow morning, I'll go down to the reception. We'll pack our bags now so we're ready to go. We've already prepaid everything. So the worst case scenario... They're just gonna say, you know what? You're not gonna getting your you're not getting your money back. So we must be ready to lose that. But I said, okay, if I were in their shoes, they would nice. they would want to have repeat customers, right? They do, right. they would not want to have this like all over the over the internet that you know people have have found cockroaches in their in their rooms. So I went to talk to them in a very calm way. I said, this happened last night. This is what we found. I showed them, and I said. Can we do this? I told the, the on-site manager. Can we do this? That we we get our money back. We'll pay for the first night. We get the money back for the rest of the trip, and we let this like slip, and we don't write anything online. Nobody knows about this, and we can carry on. And you know what? That person called the owner of the hotel, and they let us leave. They returned the money, and that was the end of the story, Chris. How was that negotiation? 
Well, what I love about what you did, I mean, the real issue is you did it calmly. That's really the first thing. You know, one of the black swan rules is never be mean to someone who could hurt you by doing nothing. Okay. So, like, if you to come, come down demanding, angry, you'd have got one or two things out of, the, out of the hotel clerk. Hey, you know, I'm sorry. It's nothing I could do. He could hurt you by doing nothing because he wouldn't care about the consequences for the hotel. He'd have just been annoyed by the angry, demanding person. I see this all the time because actually he could have done that. What would have been more likely is he'd have given you a really small throwaway. Like, well, we can't refund the whole amount, but I can refund 10%. It's a throwaway for the other side. Yeah, see that in see this in hotels and in stores all the time. You know, they 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 throw ten percent at you anytime they want to, as much as an annoyance cost to get you away from them. Now you're going to walk away having gone downstairs demanding, realizing that you could have lost your whole deposit, and said to yourself, "Hey, I was I was demanding, I was angry, and I got a ten percent discount." And then you'd go forward remembering that 10% victory, and that would be the way you were all the time, when in fact you have no idea how much money you're leaving on the table. Now, the mere fact that you went down calmly and got a full refund for the unused time was fantastic. So the mere fact that you you, you lived by the rule, never be mean by somebody who could hurt you do, by doing nothing or somebody who give you 10% to go away, you did a much better job than 90% of the people out there would ever have done. And those demanding types would have said, I got 10%. I, you know, that works for me. I've seen, I've seen people do that over and over and over again. And so, yeah, you, 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 did, you did a beautiful job coming down, staying calm and just laying the situation out in a calm fashion and also being perfectly you demonstrated that you were perfectly willing to contently just depart the situation it's not breaking off negotiations that cause problems it's breaking off negotiations in an angry fashion that cause problems and yeah. you were willing to depart without calling many names without any threats whatsoever. And, and that that's hugely important. How it, how it ends is the most important impression. My favorite classes in college was international negotiation. This, the second one was rhetorics. Um, of course. International, yes, I really liked the international negotiation class I took when I, I did an exchange semester in Japan. But the biggest takeaway was that from that class, many, many years now after, was that we negotiate with ourselves each day and that we negotiate, you know, whether we, we like it or not with our partners, with our colleagues, whether we feel sad, embarrassed or happy or angry, you know, at all times. And you mentioned emotions, being angry, being calm, uh, something as a very, very important factor. One other thing could be dealing with being nervous. I wanted to ask you, Chris, because I'm sure a lot of people in the audience, for right. example, a very common negotiation might be you are coming to your performance review. You're coming to your annual review with your manager who you might, you may have a very, very good relationship with, but now it's time to talk money matters. How do we navigate our, our emotions when it comes to such an important subject to discuss? Navigating your own emotions when you're approaching any negotiation, let alone a job negotiation, yeah, it's a common challenge. Um, you know, so there's a couple of hacks mechanisms, if you will, which is a better term than hack. Okay. Um, and some of them are cliche, like the phrase, life happens for me, not to me, you know, the, which is there's an advantage here. Let me be curious. I just got to find it. How do I get curious about what's going on? What am I missing? Now, your salary pays your bills, but it doesn't build your career. People are much better off if they go into the conversations with their boss, whether it be the opening job offer or whether it's the annual review, with a long-term view of how do you build your career. Now, how do you build your career, which also benefits your boss in the same way? One of the problems with most job negotiations, employer-employee negotiations, boss-subordinate negotiations 
is the only time the employee talks to the boss, the employee wants something. In your performance review, you want something. When you walk into the boss's office, you want something. How are you conditioning the other side? Because tactical empathy is not about you. It's how does it look to the other side? Yeah. Not how is it fairly should, should it be looked at, you know, what's correct, what's fair, accurate. It's how does it look to the other side only. So if the, every time an employee walks into a boss's office, they want something, how do employees look to bosses? Selfish. Boss sitting in the office. Nobody walks in the office trying to help the boss out. They only walk in when they want something for themselves. How do you change that dynamic? Shift your negotiation, your questions you ask, the best question you could ever possibly ask your boss, the best question, how can I be guaranteed to be involved in projects that are critical to the strategic future of our organization? That will shock your boss. Because with that question, you put yourself in a different category. You don't want something for yourself. You want something for us, our future. Everybody's making their decisions based on what they think their future looks like. Vision drives decision. What's your vision of the future? Suddenly, you go from being a selfish person with your boss to somebody that wants to help secure your boss's future. Completely different conversation. Yeah. Now, you're worth more to the boss. Because you're not in there for yourself or the only other people that walk into the boss's office are the people that are in there to stroke the boss's ego, the sycophant, the bootlicker, the ego stroker. While that's very pleasurable for the boss and it's better than what, you know, somebody coming in there being selfish, it doesn't do the boss any good. It doesn't actually advance his or her career. You're just one less person on their back with their hands up. Yeah. But now when you're looking for the benefit of everybody, which includes a boss, that mere question transforms your identity to the boss. How do you become more valuable to the boss, which then puts you in a position to ask for more money, having demonstrated value? Now, the first thing that people say is, what happens if I demonstrate more value and I don't get more money? You have that conversation, having demonstrated the value. If you still don't get it, what you've done by having demonstrated more value, you've made your resume, you've made yourself more employable to other people. If you're not rewarded appropriately for what you've contributed, you're in the wrong place. It's like being in a bad relationship. Yeah, I agree. You don't go, how, how, how do I have a better relationship with a spouse? You find another spouse or a significant <laughs> other because you need people around you that make you better, particularly the people that, you work with. I love that. Tactic, tactical empathy. So coming in to the negotiation with, all right, what does the other party want, so to speak? And then asking questions, addressing that, which basically shifts your position from, you know, if I may use left to right or from like yeah, from yeah, the employee, yeah. whatever position you have to a little bit higher because you're thinking strategically for the, for the good of the team and the company. Right, exactly. And your question, what does the other person want? You can guarantee that what they want is a better future. Yes. Like everybody wants a better future. They want a better future for themselves, for the children. They want to make more money. They want to be in a bigger house. They want to give their kids a better education. They want to put better food on the table. So then, all right, so that's a given. The other side wants a better future. Look, I got to tell you, terrorists want a better future. Now, we may not agree on the path, but they want a better future for their children, for the people in their religion, the people of their ethnicity. Everybody's after a better future. So how do I contribute to a better future? What's this person struggling with? Go in and instead of asking what's your future look like throughout some significant ideas. And there's a big difference between the how question and the what question, because the how question is about integration and implementation. And it, it presupposes 
that we're going to work together successfully sort of skips over a step. And when you get into how, it's a completely different dynamic than any other kind of a question. I've learned that asking the right questions or asking, asking questions in general, Chris, it's a very, very powerful art that really levels, like makes you level up in any career that you may have, whether you're an entrepreneur like yourself or like me, or whether you're just like a product manager, you're an author, whatever, like athlete, whatever you are, you know, so to speak. Yes, I absolutely agree that questions are an art. And if the only questions that you ask are questions designed to get a yes, then your artistic abilities are just not there. We've spoken a lot about emotional traits, being calm, tactical empathy. What are other important traits that are important to possess in order to have a successful negotiation, whether that's negotiating with your spouse about doing the dishes, whether that's negotiating with a colleague about, hey, you should be doing this extra work. Um, What are some extra traits that are really key? So um, you would say, Chris? Well, being genuinely curious. Okay, we're um, going back to the curiosity. Curiosity is one. And, and, you know, never be so sure of what you want that you wouldn't take something better. Well, that's the reason to be curious, because you're looking to find something better. You're looking to find a better path that nobody has um, thought of. You know, you, you got to hear the other, and to get there, you got to hear the other side out. Yes. Like I, I'm reading, um, it's crazy, because I'm, I'm reading an article from one of the, the Harvard blogs earlier today that one of my colleagues had sent to me. And he said, you know, thank God these guys are putting this stuff out there because it's going to keep us in business. <laughs> like There's just all this guidance in there and literally nothing in it about hearing the other side out. Like listening, we had a saying in a hostage negotiation, what's it going to take to get the bad guy to surrender? He'll tell you. Well, what does that mean? You got to hear him out. You'll actually accelerate the whole process by hearing the other side out. I mean, so hearing the other side out and actually listening, because a curious tone of mind makes you say like, what, how does this make sense? What's going on here? What, what are they thinking? You know, what are the important things? the whole application of curiosity to hearing the other side out. Now, bang, suddenly stuff begins to jump out at you. Oh, this is obvious. This is what they want. Oh, this is obvious. This is what they want to do. Oh, now I see a better path for both of us. Like if you don't hear people out, you are never going to get that. And this, mm-hmm. you know, I, that, I got some really good friends at Harvard, people whose intellect blows me away at how smart they are. And so, but they, they live in a world that is most of their instruction is making arguments. Nobody likes to be argued with oh. instead of hearing the other side out. You said you were a former international hostage negotiator for the FBI for many, many years, um, Chris. And you said that hearing the other person out is really important in a very stressful situation. Negotiating with a terrorist or or hostage person. How do you get the other person to open up to you who he or she hasn't met? He knows that you're the enemy, so to speak. Um, How do you get the other person to open up? And how, what's your thought process around that besides listening? Well, and then you got to feed them back and let them know that, that you are listening. Now, you got, you got to get the opening statement out there. You know, this is a hostage negotiator is the ultimate cold caller. I've got to, in a real short sentence, say something that's going to caught, catch you off guard in a really good way. You know, I'm, I'm going to make you feel imbalanced, but I'm not going to make you angry. Very much like the mirroring that I used with you earlier. You know, how, how, do, I, how do I get you unbalanced? Because if you're angry, if you're doing something as a terrorist that I don't agree with, if you're doing something as a business person I don't agree with, you know, I've, I've got to get you in a place where we can talk, where you can, you feel like you can drop your guard. So a hostage negotiator is probably going to say something. I'm going to, I'm going to call him and say, hi, I'm Chris. I'm not going to say anything more than that because everything after that is noise and posturing. Okay. 
you know, I don't, I don't, I'm Chris, a hostage negotiator with the FBI, been a hostage negotiator for 20 years. You know, I'm not going with my resume. I just, I just need you to know me as Chris. I need to okay. appear human, human to you as quickly as possible. The quickest way is to just give you my first name only. I'm Chris, just Chris. Okay. It's, it's, it's the way I get discounts sometimes in hotels or any other place. You know, I'll talk to him. I'll, I'll be like, hey, you know, I'm Chris. What's the Chris price today? <laughs> and people <will> laugh <laughs> with me. But I become a human instead of a demanding customer. Same thing with hostage negotiation. I'm Chris. And I'm, I'm probably going to say something like, are you okay? And I'm going to say it just like that. Just like silence after. And silence. I got to be genuinely curious about you. You got to matter to me first before anything else matters. And then whatever your answer is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to show that I'm listening to your answer. I'm going to, I'm going to want to, I'm going to want to show that I'm show that I'm really interested in you and what you have to say. Now that's going to make you feel unbalanced in a good way. And so then you're going to test me out a little bit. You're going to say a couple things to test me. You're going to see if I'm really paying attention. And then you're going to, you're going to want to check to see whether or not I'm going to counterattack, if I'm going to argue, if I'm going to explain. And as soon as we get a dynamic going of back and forth and truly back and forth, like I'm not just waiting for the opportunity to speak when you're talking, I'm actually listening. And I'm actually going to check in with you. All right, so this is what I'm hearing. Sounds like you think that there's been a succession of American governments that have been anti-Islamic for the last 200 to 300 years. And they're going to go, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, the important thing about that from an empathy point of view, because we talked about this a little bit ago. It's not about you. What is it to the other person? I never said I agreed. I said, you think this, you feel this, and you're going to be like, yeah. And you're going to be, now you're going to be interested. And you never would have been fooled because I never would have said, you know, well, I felt that way. You know, the, this feel felt found nonsense that's out there. You know, I, I, I feel like the same way you do. I felt that way before. Here's what I found. I mean, that's just such nonsense. You know, I used to think that the American government was anti-Islamic, but then I looked into it more closely. And what I found was it respected all religions. So why don't you let the hostages go? <laughs> no, that ain't going to work. That feel no. felt found nonsense is just nonsense. I mean, these some of these negotiation tactics, hostage negotiation tactics. What are some that you use on a daily basis, Chris? That you I use, use them all your... on a daily basis. Can you give you know, an example? I, I, something that happened yesterday, for example, or the day before? Yeah, well, you know, um, you know, I, I, the the skill that's most in use and most powerful is labeling. It seems, it sounds, it looks. You seem, you sound, you look especially on stuff where the other side's negative. You know, okay. it seems like you feel backed into a corner here. It's probably going to seem like I'm a demanding jerk that wants something for nothing. You know, I'll, I'll call, I'll call my cell phone provider to try to get a better deal. I know I'm, you know, it's going to seem like I'm some demanding jerk that wants something for nothing. And when I'm looking for an upgrade in the hotel, I'll say, you know, I'm going to seem by, like another demanding hotel guest that wants something for nothing. You know, I'm gonna seem like a jerk. I'm gonna seem like, I'm gonna seem selfish. When I ask you this, it's gonna seem like I'm just cheap. You know, these are all versions of the label. So you know what the other side's neg negative reaction is or is going to be. It's the stuff that you would wanna deny. I don't want you to think I'm cheap. I don't want you to think I'm demanding. You know, you could reel those off off the top of your head easily. The two millimeter shift is instead of denying them, mm -hmm labeling them it does seem like i'm a jerk it feels like i'm i want something for nothing this is being very proactive in getting negatives out of the way and i it, it's it's only second nature to me because i do it all the time so 
you know, I'm, I'm discussing with one of my employees, you know, you know, I'm going to seem like I'm breathing down your neck here. It's going to seem like I'm demanding. It's, it's going to seem like I don't appreciate the work you've been doing up to now. It's going to seem like I'm blaming you for something that's not your fault. You know, I got, I got to throw that stuff in all the time. And then you come with the ask, so to speak. Well then, yeah, then I got to let it land. Okay. And I, I got to see how they react. You know, I got to let it appropriately diffuse the problem, the negativity, clearing somebody's head because we need action. And what's going to get in the way of action is negative thinking. The number one thing that gets in the way of action is negative thinking. Most people think you pitch gain. Here are the benefits for doing this. Um, That's a low win percentage. Like it works some. It just doesn't work as much as it should, or it doesn't work as much as it could. Pitching gain is at best 20% as effective as eliminating losses. So, you know, we know this. We refer to tactical empathy as the calibrated application of emotional intelligence. What's it calibrated by? Neuroscience. Neuroscience is pretty clear that our brain is predominantly negative. Mm -hmm. How do I calibrate the application of that knowledge? I get rid of the negative in your brain the most effective way possible by calling it out versus trying to get the positive to take over, which is the complete flip side of vast majority of persuasion and sales. So smiles helps a lot, trying to (laughs) build a good vibe. Nice. Yeah, being, because then, then there's a genuine. place for positivity. Yeah. You, you, the point that you're making is there's still a place for positivity. It's not, it's not about being gloom and doom. And the smile is one of the most powerful things you could do. It's, it triggers a neurochemical reaction in the other side. And it, it, it makes people want to collaborate. So, yeah, there, there's a massive place for smiling. Yeah. I love that. Okay, it seems like, or it looks like you're tired. It looks like you're stressed. And okay, so Chris, for those listening that are it's summer almost soon, they're gonna go on vacation. Uh, they're gonna ask for an upgrade one once they arrive. They're gonna arrive smiling. And what's the tactic that they're gonna use exactly? What's the Chris discount they're gonna be getting? And how are yeah, they gonna well, get it? Now, first of all, the issue is based on inventory on the other side. Okay. And I'm finding this on a regular basis because I'll go for a hotel suite upgrade. They don't got any suites or they don't have them for the whole time that I'm there. Like it's an inventory problem. Okay. And that you, no one you really can, wanted, Yeah. No yeah, one can, you wanted, can fix that. Right. You want to discover the inventory. Like, like one hotel I was in, you know, when I walk in, the parking lot's full of Range Rovers. I'm like, huh, okay, very expensive vehicle. Parking lot's full of them. They got a bunch of people in a hotel. I'm thinking like, ah, a bunch of rich people. How many suites are available? I get inside and I see every female I see is dressed like she's on her way to a wedding. Because she is. There's a big wealthy family holding a wedding at the hotel then. And they are dumping money on this hotel. And the guy looks at me and goes like, we got a wedding here this weekend. We don't have any suites. I'm like, awesome. But I need to know what else you got other than the suite upgrade. And I, you know, and I ended up getting discounts at the bar. <laughs> because the other thing, too, is you want to, you know, never be so sure what you want that you wouldn't take something better. If they don't have it to give to you, you got to ask in a way that makes them like you. Yes, of course. So you could ask for other stuff. Yeah. So when I when I start when I start my approach for the hotel upgrade, tactical empathy. It's not about you. How's it to the other side? Hotel clerk is like being pushed ten different directions. Everybody's demanding. First thing when you start asking for stuff, you're gonna seem like another pushing demanding customer. That's what I'm gonna say. Look, man, I'm I'm getting ready to say something you just don't want to hear. Because does he want to hear this? No. So what do I do? I start out by saying, that, like, look, you just don't want to hear this. This is probably going to ruin your whole day. Now, sequencing is very important. 
You got to get them in a moment. You got to get people in a moment when they can listen to you. Walk into a hotel, you got to give them your ID. Let them find your reservation if you have one first. Because they're busy looking at the computer multitasking. Nobody listens when they're multitasking. Guy's busy looking up your your reservation in the computer. He's not going to hear a word you're saying. Guy or gal. Yes. So let them find you. And you got to get their attention. Like, look, I'm I'm getting ready, I'm getting I'm getting ready to say something you're just not going to like. You're just you're not going to want to hear this. And then you got to stop because every negotiation technique that you use, you got to let it sink in. You can't keep going. You got you got and you got to proceed when the other side's ready. You got to listen with your eyes. Listen with your eyes. Listen so you, with your eyes. Hmm. Listen with your eyes. What does that mean? It means you're looking at them. You're, you're evaluating their reaction. You're watching a look on their face. You're waiting, waiting for them to give you the go ahead. And they're going to go like, okay, what is it? <laughs> now, by the way, you can do this in front of other hotel guests. You can do this in front of other hotel employees. I once did this in front of the person's boss who was standing right there. There was another woman at the keyboard next to her. And I didn't know that that was her boss. I didn't know who the heck it was. It was her boss. And so I, I lay all this out. Now, if I'm getting ready to make the ask, what do you seem like? Another selfish customer wants something for nothing. Diffuse the negatives by calling them out as is. Yeah. The mistake would be denying it. I don't want to seem. That's the horrible way. The two millimeter shift, the black swan way, I am going to see. I'm probably going to see. That tiny little shift makes changes everything. Everything. Probably going to seem like another demanding hotel guest who's cheap, wants something for nothing. I, now I they're love a little that. relieved. Yeah. It's like, right. okay, I'm just being honest. Like, I, I want that upgrade. But Chris, let's say that they don't have even inventory. Like, okay, I can't do this, Chris. How do you diffuse them to another ask them? I, I assume well, you need to be ready for that ask in your mind, what you want to get. or Yeah, um, like in, in, a, in a place that was full of Range Rovers, you know, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm good at no oriented questions. Is it ridiculous? Is this a problem? Are you against? Is this a bad idea? I practice those all the time. I never ask for yes. I always ask for no. If I'm going to make an ask, it's going to be a no. So yeah. I look at the guy in that instance. And I go like, is it ridiculous for me to ask you to make it up for me at the bar? Now think about the absurdity of that question. Make it, it up for me at the bar. To make it is up it ridiculous? But has, he, has this guy got anything he's got to make up for me? I'm here asking for free stuff. And I'm asking like he's got to make it up to me. Like, is it ridiculous for me to ask you to make it up for me at the bar? As if he did something wrong because I'm asking for free stuff that he can't give anyone. Yeah. And this guy brights him, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, and he comes around the counter to me. He says, let me give you a number of coupons. These are all good for free drinks at the bar. And he lays a no. bunch of them on me. I'm like, all right. And he's happy as a clam. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's, again, we're going back for those listening on how we're framing the questions. Exactly. It's really important. It's really important. I, I never make an ask where the yes gets me my ask. Never. I am out of the yes business entirely. The Black Swan method, the Black Swan group, we are out of the yes business. We get way more than anybody else does. We make all our asks. If we make the ask, if we close, it's always with a mm -hmm. question where the answer is a no. Chris, I, I have a last question because I know we are in a tight schedule, but often when we negotiate, the other party gets defensive and it happens very often, whether you're an employee, you're negotiating with a colleague on a group project, whether you're a student, you are negotiating with, a, with the other students when it comes to a group project whether you're arriving in a hotel, the hotel clerk is having a bad day, is not willing to engage with you, the other party gets defensive. Um, I'll give you a concrete example of what happened to me. During COVID, we realized that one of our long-term partners, marketing partners, they were not delivering as much value 
as they normally would. Long-term partner, we've been doing business with them for a long time, Chris. So I thought, you know what, we need to renegotiate the terms because we're not seeing the fruits from what we're paying, so to speak. And they were very defensive about it. Right. Why are people defensive and how do one approach this? Yeah, why are people defensive and and how to approach it? You got to deactivate the negatives. You got to. Okay. There are a couple. There are a couple reasons why people are potentially defensive. They get problems on their side. They got implementation problems. That's embarrassing. Um. They got money problems on their side. That's embarrassing. Okay. Yes. They're not making as much as they thought they were going to make. Yes. Okay. That's embarrassing. So you need to you start out by taking a couple of educated guesses. A real broad one that that works really well to start off with is, is label format. Look, it seems like you guys have good reasons for the way things have gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like you guys have seems like something's getting in your way beyond your control. That's making it impossible for you to comply with the terms of the contract. You got to find out what's really going on if you're going to fix it instead of going suing them, which then is just like the only people are happy in lawsuits are lawyers. And they want to keep that lawsuit going for as long as possible because you're a cash rate. You're an ATM machine and they want to keep tapping that ATM machine till there ain't no more money left. Lawyers are really good at running up bills. So suing people, taking legal action is should be a non-starter. You got to figure out if you can renegotiate it or if you stop throwing good money after bad, which is just break off. You got to get the other side talking. It was a contractor, subcontractor negotiation. One time student in my class, subcontractor is not performing. The counterpart is not living up to the deal. And the person in my class says to him, seems like you got good reasons for not implementing the contract. Just like that, real nice, not an accusation. And the other guy said, no, we don't. And then they worked it out. Yeah. But it was embarrassing for the other side and the way you you get it out of them. Because in their mind, how is it to them? From their point of view, they got good reasons for not doing it. Or... No, I don't. We just, and, you know, but you need people to be honest with you to level up. And the only way you do that is to come, come at them from a non judgmental perspective. And using it with a label is even better than saying what's getting in your way or what's the problem. Yeah. Which would normally be good questions, but in a situation where people are very defensive. Questions are only going to make them more defensive. And so you shift from questions into labels with the same kind of information, use the right tone of voice. And if you're going to get it out of them, that's that's the best way. There's no guarantee of success. What there is is a best chance of success. And the emotional intelligence, calibrated application of emotional intelligence is the best chance of success. Labeling seems, what I'm hearing, Chris, to be a very powerful technique or tactic if you're a manager or entrepreneur or CEO and you're speaking perhaps with an employee who's not performing because that employee is embarrassed, right? And as a CEO or entrepreneur like yourself at the Black Swan Group, you might have someone who's had a bad year. That person is embarrassed. As an entrepreneur, CEO, you have a lot of questions. You need answers, right? So you were saying diffusing with labeling and then questions comes later. Yeah, exactly. And and how have you designed your questions? And labels is a great two-way street. Like you'd be shocked whether you're talking to employees or whether you're talking to your employer. Yeah. Labels are labels work two ways. They're 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 one of the best emotional intelligence skills to draw out information without making someone feel defensive. It seems to 
I mean, for those that are married or in a relationship, it seems to be an amazing technique as well. It actually works really good in yes. relationships. Yeah. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show, Chris. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our audience learned a lot as well. And uh, I wanted to ask you, where can people find, find more about you online? And where can they learn more about the Black Swan Group and your amazing book, Never Split the Difference? Yeah, thank you very much. The best place to find out about the Black Swan Group is at our website, blackswanltd.com, B-L-A-C-K-S-W-A-N-L-T-D.com. Now, there's a number of free things that you can get off the website, which is a great price, but only if it's useful. And the most valuable first move is to subscribe to our negotiation newsletter, our blog, upper right-hand corner of the website. There's a blog tab. Click on that. There's a library there of concise articles with actionable information to help you become a better negotiator. You can search the library. While you're searching for any sort of a specific any sort of specific topic, sign up for the for the newsletter so that you get it emailed to you on Tuesday mornings, wherever you are, concise, actionable. Then the, e the newsletter, the blog, becomes the gateway to everything. Amazing. Everyone, check out the Black Swan, ltd.com, and everyone check out Chris' book as well, Never Split the Difference. Just for everyone to know, it has over 40,000 five-star reviews on Amazon, and it's an amazing read. I've read it myself and highly recommend it. Thanks again, Chris. It's been a blast. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been an honor. A lot of gratitude for listening to Fika with Bryce. I really mean that. If you like the show, I would love if you can leave us a five-star review, whatever you're listening to your podcast. It helps us so much to get the word out there to other listeners. If you have any questions or any feedback, I would love to hear from you. I'm just a DM away on Instagram or TikTok at Freddy Van Hyun. So looking forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you so much.